0: Wretched Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. Now I can preach it like this, okay? Repent! Or I can tell you, change your mind. Preaching repentance in the area of consciousness of sins is dishonoring the work of Jesus.
1: Repentance means you realize you're guilty, that you deserve the wrath and punishment of God. You begin to realize that sin is in you, and you turn your back on it in every shape and form. You renounce the world whatever the cost, and you deny yourself and take up the cross and go after Christ.
0: It's time for Wretched Radio. With Todd Frio. Hello and welcome to
2: Witness Wednesday here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio, as always, Todd, out on the campus of Kennesaw State University, and we'll check in with him in just a second. But before we do, I just wanted to say really quick evangelism really can seem scary at times. Personally, I spent years talking myself out of it. I had every excuse you could think of. You know, what if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? What if someone outright rejects what I'm saying? What if? What if? You know, we can what if ourselves into not doing anything anything, and that's exactly what I did. And that's why I want to point you to the Wretched Store at Wretched.org. Take a look at Terrified 2. It's a video resource that I highly recommend. It's going to help you learn how to witness to absolutely anybody, and you're not going to feel unequipped when you do it. Check it all out at the Wretched Store at Wretched.org. Now, let's jump into the actual witnessing with Todd. I mean, that's
1: what we're all here for, right? God knows. This is Chima, which means? God knows. God knows, right? yeah. I always love that African names have usually pretty rich symbolic meaning. And usually it's religious, I've noticed.
3: That comes from like a lot of, you know, colonization and everything. Various religions become very popular or very popular in certain countries. My family's Nigerian, so Catholicism, you know, right. English. Influence was very much pushed. Uh, My grandpa, when he was growing up, his parents were actually pagan. And then he made that switch to Catholicism as he got older.
1: Are you Catholic?
3: Uh, Raised Catholic, yeah. But being in college is like a couple things that are in the air.
1: So according to your current understanding of how the way the world operates, is there an afterlife?
3: Yes. What is it? So I've done a lot of like research into various religions and stuff. Uh, I believe in... I I adhere most to the idea of heaven. There's a positive plane or afterlife for the soul, I guess, and if you get passage there, uh, that is dependent upon your actions
1: in the living world. Do you think there is a difference between the five major religions of the world, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam?
3: There are many minor differences which create that perception that these are completely different pathways. In the end, they're mostly the same thing. You mentioned the
1: soul. How do you know that we have
3: one? I do not know that we have one. It makes more sense to understand or to think of like a soul uh, as just like the spiritual battery to the body. And
1: the afterlife being heaven, is there a hell? I would assume yes. Who goes there?
3: I would like to think it's the people who uh on this plane, act excessively greedy or evil, who aren't in line with the betterment of those around them.
1: And who makes the determination about whether or not a soul goes to heaven or hell? So I do
3: believe in God. I don't believe in too much of like our representation of the Bible, as that's been written by man and, you know, men lie. Uh, But I do believe in God, like the Catholic or the
1: Christian God. How do you believe in the Christian God without believing in the Christian holy book?
3: So the holy book was... Those are the words of God, right? But they were written by a human, a person. Humans lie, and the Bible has been translated a million times, burned a million times, uh, and there. Are, I believe that there are definitely certain times where a king or a pastor, whoever, would just write in something or take something out that they didn't really like, just to kind of push their own agenda. I mean, we do it in like our laws all the time. I feel like it would've happened A couple times making the
1: bible a little less accurate to what god said do you think that's happened with the islamic quran
3: i haven't done too much research on research on the quran but the quran has been translated written by humans so yeah i'd say it's probably a little inaccurate
1: so it sounds like you believe in the god of the bible does that mean jesus christ
3: uh i do believe in that jesus christ came down to earth at some point in time Uh, i guess that's one of the differences between like judaism and christianity I believe in that jesus came down he may come down again i'm not sure i don't really know what the god's plans are
1: so let's talk then about you based on how you understand the afterlife working you think there's a heaven you think there's a hell you believe in god where are you going when you die i don't know
3: based on my actions so far i'd like to say i'm going to heaven but I'm only 23. Hopefully that's, you know, not even a fourth way through of what I got left. Uh, and I guess it'll depend on what I do next. Am I an evil person? Am I a good person?
1: I was just reading about, I think he was called the roadside strangler. This is some yeah. guy who like strangled women to death. I'm very into true crime. I know you're talking Okay. About so, okay. That. And so he was, he was asked, do you think you're a good person? And he said, absolutely. And then he compared himself to like somebody like, genghis khan or adolf hitler something terrible how do you know if you're a good person
3: that's why it's really difficult for us as people to decide who goes into heaven. that's why it's not up to us um i would like to say it's like oh are you killing people but then there are those who kill out of self-defense or for the protection of others um i would say maybe it is are you mean to people are you taking from others uh necessarily greedy avaricious? the other you know seven sins Um, to go to heaven, I think you'd have to be, you know, good to your fellow man, a good, let's say if you're a father, good father to your children. Let's say you're a neighbor, good neighbor, or at least not a bad neighbor to those next to you.
1: So you believe you're going to heaven?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So far.
1: May I test that theory? Okay. I would suggest in order to know which way we might be going, got to understand the laws. What are the rules? What's the expectation? What's the standard? You mentioned murder. I happen to know that Jesus said, if you're just angry at somebody, you're in danger of judgment. You're a murderer at heart. You don't kill somebody. But in your mind, that's the same emotion that you're having. Jesus said, you've heard it said, thou shall not commit adultery. But I say, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. So it appears, according to the Bible, God has access to your thought life. So have you ever been angry or lusted? Yeah, Have you ever told a lie? Yes. Stolen anything? Yes. Dishonored your parents? Yes. Okay, so that's five. You probably recognize the Ten Commandments. So, Chima, if you've broken God's laws, what should a just God do with you?
3: This is where some of my divide with the Bible comes in, right? Um, The Bible paints God as a very aggressive, very uh, jealous figure. And I don't... I don't think he's sending people to hell for not believing in him. I don't think he's sending people to hell for looking at another woman. It is more based on your actions, right? Say you are in a relationship with someone. People define different things as cheating. But let's say your agreement is not having intimate relations physically or mentally, right? Not having that really close mental relationship with someone. I don't think that's cheating. I feel like God may have some similar kind of ideal, like as long as you do not kill. You can be angry because you're not perfect. He made us with imperfections. As long as you don't fall prey to these imperfections.
1: But just opening up five of those laws, you've fallen short of the standard because the judge gets to write the rules, not the criminal.
3: Well, the judge gets to write the rules. Yeah. The judge also kind of decides, or at least the jury kind of decides who's guilty, right? I've stolen a candy bar from Walmart. I haven't stolen the U.S. Treasury and
1: impoverished thousands of people. But might I suggest it's it's not really the nature of the crime or the value of the object. It's that you've stolen, whether it's a penny or whether it's $10 million. It's still taking something that didn't belong to you, dishonoring your parents over the years, not being obedient, not always honoring them in every way that you should. And that doesn't even include things like fibbing and telling, not quite telling the truth. Did
3: God create democracy and communism? Did he make, you know, uh, laissez-faire economies? No, if you believe in the Adam and Eve story, he made two people and they had everything they needed and they didn't have to take anything because it was provided, right? So did we add the whole stealing part or was that actually there?
1: Well, you gotta go to the Bible then. Okay, so Adam and Eve fell. Here's a here's a Bible question for you. You might dig this. What is the thesis statement for the Bible, and where is it found? And go back to Adam and Eve. I'm giving you a hint.
3: Yeah, this is, this is, this is <laughs> Sunday school from many years ago. Uh, let's see. A thesis statement? I don't know the exact statement, but I feel the lesson I pulled from Adam and Eve is trust your parents and admit your mistakes, as well as protect those
1: around you. I'm right. Adam and Eve, created by God. Put on the planet, sinless, one law. Don't eat that particular fruit off of that particular tree. They disobey. And the Bible says it it through the whole world. They were our our federal head, our representative. So the whole world fell when the representative, Adam and Eve, fell. But Genesis 3, so we're talking right at the beginning here, Genesis 3.15, God says to Adam and Eve, I'm going to make you a promise. That serpent who tempted you, caused you to led you to sin. I'm going to send a seed who is going to crush the head of the serpent and his heel is going to be bruised. So he's going to be hurt in the process, but he's going to take care of the sin problem. That's Genesis 3.15. I think that's the thesis statement of the Bible. And the rest of the Bible goes on then to roll out progressively who that seed is. So the question then that the bible answers is who is the seed who's the one who's going to take care of our sin problem and you know the answer to that question right jesus do you think jesus is in the old testament yes where
3: that is when he you know comes down or he's born by mary and
1: yeah that w- that would be new testament okay so old so before matthew mark luke and john old testament so the jewish people living in the land of israel
2: um interruptions don't you just love those interruptions Yeah, I have no manners, apparently. Okay, stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. You won't even know we're gone. We'll be back with more from Todd and Chima. It's a Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio.
1: Busy, busy, busy. Last year, Preborn Ministries provided over 92,000 ultrasounds. 54,000 babies were saved. 69 ultrasound machines were placed. 10,000 thousand people responded to the gospel. Pre-born ministries, very busy, saving babies, saving souls. Would you please consider partnering with preborn ministries? $28 per ultrasound. Five ultrasounds, $140. Yes, they are expensive, but they save lives. And preborn ministries uses good equipment. With trained specialists, which is why the success rates are so staggeringly high at saving lives with preborn. Please consider supporting preborn at preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched
2: Hey. I have some news I'm about to share with you that quite possibly could knock you off your feet. We're blowing the doors completely off the Wretched Store. June 12th through the 18th, it is a discount galore. 20% off all books in the Wretched Store. It's like getting every fifth page for free. We're also slashing 33% off of all of our video and audio resources, the physical ones that you hold in your hands. But wait, there more. A jaw-dropping, eye-popping, crazy 50% off all things digital and streaming. And we haven't forgot about our gospel booklets. They are getting their prices trimmed, too. Also, if your order tips the scales at $50 or more, we're going to throw in a free streaming of Road Trip to Truth Season 3. Folks, this sale is so big that it has its own zip code. It's the biggest sale we've ever had. It's even bigger than the time we ordered too many books and Todd almost had a panic attack. Make sure you take advantage of it. Julie. 12th through 18th at Wretched.org. That's the Wretched store at Wretched.org.
1: Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched, tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched.
0: Important dates in Christian history. 716 A.D., Boniface, the apostle of Germany, sets out as a missionary to bring the gospel to pagan lands. As Islam decimated the church in North Africa and the Middle East, Christianity found shelter and thrived in Europe. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And we're back. I think I told you it would be quick. This is Wretched
2: Radio, and it's a Witness Wednesday where Todd has been chatting with Chima, who's a deep thinker with lots of questions. So let's get back to the chat with Todd and Chima now. It's Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio.
3: Does reincarnation exist, right? Because if so, that means it may not have been under the name of Jesus, but he may have come down, an agent of God may have come down to assist humanity.
1: There's a couple of those that we see. They're they're called theophanies or Christophanies, where God made an appearance in human form. You remember Daniel in the lion's den. There was who's the fourth guy in the in the fire, in the furnace. So there were those, but I'm thinking more of does the Old Testament, written centuries before Jesus was born, point to him, predict him?
3: I would say so. Yes. In the, in, that, in the story of Adam and Eve that you just told me, yeah, yeah it was it was, there was going to be someone to take care of the sin. Uh, they're going to get hurt in the process, i.e. the crucifixion, but they're going to take up the sins for you. Jesus did
1: that. Yeah, and there's another right inside of that Genesis 3 story. Adam and Eve, they were naked, vegetarians. They were not given permission to kill animals, so no blood had ever been shed. But as soon as they sinned, they realized... This isn't good. I can't trust you anymore. I got to cover up. So they put leaves on themselves to try to make an effort to cover up their shame. God killed an animal, provided them skins to cover them. Chima, that's a fuzzy picture. It's called typology. It's a picture of Jesus. An animal in the Old Testament died for the shedding of blood, for the forgiveness of sins. God actually sacrificed an animal to cover the sins of human being. Blood was spilt to cover sin. That's a fuzzy picture of the one who comes to crush the head of the serpent, who shed his blood to forgive us of our sins. So that's, that's Jesus right away in Genesis 3. That's the study of typology. Do you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac going up the mountain? It's kind of a like a strange story it's like god telling a man to kill his own son it's a very
3: large test of fate most people would fail that test of fate which i think was the point
1: well there was a point to it god certainly knew the the faith of abraham but i think it was also a fuzzy picture here's what you got a father with a beloved son they're going up a mountain to make a sacrifice and the son has to carry the wood for the sacrifice they get up to the top of the hill the sun is laid out The father is ready to kill him, and God stops him. The boy on his way up the hill said, Father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide. So God stops him from killing his only beloved son, and he provides a ram in the thicket in the bushes. Not a lamb, but a ram, as if to say, the lamb isn't coming yet. I think that was another picture of Jesus Christ. Incidentally, where that story happened with Abraham and Isaac, that's most people believe the mountain on which Jesus Christ was crucified. In that story, God did execute his beloved son for the forgiveness of sins because Jesus was the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So that's Genesis 3, that's Genesis 15 through 20 talking about this, this seed who was gonna come and God made a promise to Abraham, a promise I'm gonna give you an offspring. It's the seed, so from him was gonna come the offspring. When you open up the New Testament, it starts with a genealogy of Jesus Christ going back to Abraham to show this is the seed, this is the offspring. So Shema, that's just two instances of what I think is a pretty compelling argument that if the Bible was talking about Jesus Christ millennia before he arrived, and then he arrives to accomplish exactly what they talked about, that should be sufficient proof to say, the Bible is supernatural. Are you persuaded?
3: I do believe in those stories. And I mean, that's, that's really difficult for people to plan out is all these teasers of Jesus, right? I do believe in the Bible. I don't believe in all of the Bible. I feel like there are some things that were added where it's just, I mean, there, there are many iterations in, in our history where people just create things in religion just because they want to. I mean, you have uh, King Henry, wanting to divorce his wife. So he's like, all right, cool. I'm going to make a new branch of Christianity so I can divorce my wife. These are things that we just add because we want to. But then there are definitely like the really deep lessons, Cain and Abel, you know, Abraham, David and Goliath, tests of faith, tests of belief. There are stories of you should behave as I want you to, try to live without sin, try to better your neighbors.
1: These are the important lessons. Let me suggest there's a different meaning to Cain and Abel and David and Goliath. Cain and Abel, Genesis 4. God says, make a sacrifice. Abel makes a sacrifice of an animal. Cain gives vegetables to God. God is not pleased. Cain kills Abel because God was pleased with an animal sacrifice. Fuzzy picture of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. David and Goliath. The story of David and Goliath is David is actually representing you and me. Goliath is dealing with our sin problem. And what are we going to do about it? Because it's a monster and it's going to crush us. And if God doesn't intervene, we're in big trouble. It's another picture pointing to Jesus Christ. May I share something with you? You might find interesting because I know you've been on the Internet looking at stuff about the Bible and what have you. Are you familiar with a study called textual criticism? No. Textual criticism is the field of people who look at books in antiquity to determine how accurate are they? Have there been changes? Have there been alterations? Now there are some books in antiquity, like Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars. We have a handful of copies, about ten copies of that. But they were written 900 years after the events of Julius Caesar. Okay, that's a long time, and we don't have a lot of manuscripts to support it. Now, they could be good, but you compare the manuscripts and see if there's contradictions and if you can sort it out. Was it just a spelling error, what have you? The New Testament. Has about 6,000 copies, some of which were written within decades of the actual events of Jesus Christ, which is why textual critics, whether they believe in Christ or not, they do agree that the New Testament is the most accurate book in antiquity. That changes haven't been made. When you compare those 6,000 manuscripts, they sort themselves out. There was like a punctuation mark, some a different letter. You know, just a t- spelling error but otherwise it's the most accurate book that it was ever written in the ancient world that's the study of textual criticism you buying that
3: so is this on the base like okay you're saying the new testament is the most accurate book written in ancient world is this accounting for changes in translation That's a
1: great question. All right. So translation is a little bit different than transcribing, which is writing it down. Maybe you've heard that the Bible, it's like the game of telephone. Yeah. Here's the problem with that analogy. Telephone is an oral transmission. This was, this was written. And back then, they took great pains to make sure that they were doing it accurately. Now, you're correct. We do see a few instances where somebody decides, you know, I kind of got an idea. I'm going to sneak it in. problem is we've got so many manuscripts. The other manuscripts point at it and go, that doesn't belong there. And we know it doesn't. Somebody put it in. We can take it out. So we believe that we've got an accurate representation of the book that was written 2,000 years ago. But you're a smart guy. And accurate doesn't mean true. Right. That's
3: that's fair. Yeah. It's all based on how it was interpreted then orally, how it was told then, what was written down then, and then how that was translated over
1: to now. So the translations going from Greek to say English, we do that all the time. There's no difficulty in that. There's some translations that are better than other because there's a wide range of how you can translate a book. But if you're looking to understand the Greek, we even have, of course, the Greek. We understand the Greek language. We understand Greek grammar. So having a translation doesn't disqualify a book. It just moves it from one language to another. So the question, though, that still needs to be answered, Chima, is that book true? How can we know it's true? What would the Bible have to do to demonstrate to you this is the Word of God? This is how you're going to be judged. This is what the afterlife looks like.
3: It would have to be compared for accuracy to other books, faith, such as the Quran, the Torah, and then kind of see how that compares to Buddhist beliefs, Confucius beliefs. I mean, there are some religions that we just mark out as completely inaccurate, Greek, um, what the Greek pantheon, that's just fake, right? But a lot of things such as, you know, modern islam or modern christianity modern modern judaism are very similar so which one is more right than the other and why is that one
1: more right than the other very fair question i think most people have the impression that in fact i think you said it shima that like all the religions are basically the same i suspect it's love be kind to people that's the the theme and and i think that's that's in all of those books but the big difference is the subject that we started talking about which is the afterlife Hinduism, Buddhism, which came out of Hinduism, and the Quran, which is the holy book of Islam, and even modern day Jews. Those four world religions would tell you the way to achieve a better afterlife is by being good. Have the scales tip. Do more good than bad. Don't chainsaw somebody to pieces. All right. Christianity says, nope, you cannot earn your way to heaven. You do not have a chance. You've broken all the laws. You are guilty and you need divine intervention. You need mercy, you need grace, and you need a sacrifice for your sins. So those religions say works, Christianity says grace, that you can go to heaven because of Jesus, not because of yourself. And that that just separates it at a fundamental level from those other four systems.
2: More interruptions. I know I'm a big jerk, but look, I'm sorry, it's break time. But I promise it'll be fast. It'll be really fast, just like it was last time. Hang tight. More Witness Wednesday on the way. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. We start with a little bit of news from this year's Southern Baptist Convention. Convention taking place in New Orleans. We'll have more details of the convention during tomorrow's Wretched Radio broadcast. But for now, we'll tell you the decision was made this morning to disfellowship Rick Warren's Saddleback Church from being in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention two other churches also appealed their ouster from the SBC. Warren gave a three-minute statement followed by former SBC president Al Mohler, who gave an opposing statement asking messengers to uphold the decision, which is exactly how the vote turned out. And moving to Maryland, where a councilwoman recently attempted to label her Muslim constituents as white supremacists, he actually did that, and if you're wondering how that worked out for well, I can safely tell you that it did not. It was quite the disaster. And meanwhile, a group of middle school students have come under fire for chanting USA and also pulling down pride decorations in the school. Clearly, these children need to be brought up to speed. I mean, didn't they know patriotism is the new homophobia? In other school news, a recent report indicates that thousands of schools across the nation are encouraging and instructing their teachers to hide students' gender identities from their parents. Seems like that these stories are not going to be isolated from now on. They're going to be probably coming at us in droves. And speaking of schools and parents, in Virginia, one group of parents are staging a protest to defund the public library. Why? Over the inclusion of pornographic children's books. And now to California, where one school teacher has been making waves, for what? Well, he's become a criminal. His crime? A bold defense of First Amendment rights. (laughs) It's the new America, folks. You love the First Amendment? You're a criminal. In the world of children's television, the animated series, We Baby Bears, plans to introduce they-them pronouns in an upcoming episode. Just in case you needed to know that. Lastly, let's be praying for unborn babies, well, all over the world, but specifically right now in Ohio, where a ballot measure is coming up regarding abortions up to birth. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks.
0: Books of the Bible. The book of Job answers the question, why do the righteous suffer? When Job loses everything, his friends blame him. But when Job questions the Lord, he responds, God is sovereign and he is good. His ways are beyond our understanding. When you suffer, know that God is in control. He has his own purposes that you may not understand. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel.
2: Hello and welcome back to Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio, Todd, out on the campus at Kennesaw State University where he's been chatting with Chima the Scholar. That's what I've nicknamed him, Chima the Scholar, the critical thinker. He has lots of questions, good questions. So let's get back out to the campus now as the conversation continues.
3: Uh, I guess I believe more with like you said with the Hindu or the Jewish kind of belief of like, okay, grace will get you into heaven. I think God wants us there. He didn't design us in a way where we are broken and he needs to fix us to get us back. I think he puts us down. He wants to see how we rise up. Those who do do those who don't don't. He intervenes in some of our lives who maybe we need it more than others. Maybe he uses a few of us as divine agents to get to others that again, I don't know God's plan. I believe it's more grace. It's more what you do that can get your way. You can't buy your way into heaven
1: and you're not. Well, that's, chima. but that's not grace though, Chima. That's works. Works. Okay. I guess, I guess I mixed. I'm, I'm I'm earning my way there. I'm paying for my own speeding ticket. That's, that's works. That's the four okay. systems. The
3: other thing is, okay, so say a baby is born, survives like all of five minutes, but has a crushed lung mm-hmm. and then dies. Yeah. They had no chance to, I mean, they're born of sin but they had no chance to fix it. They had no chance to ask God for help.
1: Yeah. And this is, you're, you're looking at some exceptions and that's okay, but we still would want to focus on the rule. But I think with babies, the Bible describes, we reach a level as human beings where we start to realize what I'm doing is wrong. Babies, don't have that developed. They're not at a level where they're accountable for their behavior. So I believe that the Bible, with at least 22 examples, points to babies who die, whether they're from a Christian family, Muslim, they go to be with God because they don't have a rap sheet. No, they don't have a rap sheet. They haven't broken any laws. See, God can't take lawbreakers to a perfect place, but babies aren't lawbreakers. We grow up to become lawbreakers. Then we're accountable.
3: I'll pitch this to you in two kind of worlds, right? Let's go into the ancient world and Christianity started in the East world, right? Let's go further West, where people had no opportunity to learn about Christianity or God. What happened to them?
1: That's a very fair question. And the answer would be, have they broken God's laws?
3: It is very likely, since they were human, that they...
1: That that they did, right. But the question though is, they don't have knowledge of God to believe in this God so that their sins could be forgiven. But I would present to you, Chima, that God actually does preach to people all over the globe every second of every day. And he does it through creation. This thing didn't happen by itself. You know, we've never been to the bench factory, but we know that the swing was made by somebody. The trees and the bees and the flowers and the grass all testify there's a creator. So God is preaching in a general way to everybody all the time. And the second way that God speaks to us, whether you've heard the Bible or not, is through your conscience, the courtroom in your brain. Everybody knows that they've broken the laws of this God. So I think that for those people who lived in different parts of the globe, they had every opportunity to respond and they just don't because they don't wanna listen to their conscience or to their common sense, which is there's gotta be a creator
3: but what about when they did create a religion and it just wasn't Christianity or Judaism, right? Maybe God did send a divine agent in some way to them, sent a Jesus to them to absorb their sins, and they created something else from that, right? There are many Aztec religions, Native American religions, Viking religions, uh, where, I mean, there are some parallels that can be drawn, but they're very small, but those people created their own thing. They had a savior of some sort. If they behaved, did they go to heaven?
1: Actually, those religions, believe it or not, they would offer sacrifices. And the Aztec religions typically sacrificed their own children. They weren't looking for grace. They were looking to earn God's favor. So in other words, it was a work system also. You've got to do this in order to get that. So my case to you for Christianity, Chima, is based on the exclusive claims of Christianity. It's the only religion that says you can't do it, but God is good. And he's rich in mercy. And he sent his son to take on human flesh, lived a perfect life, died for sinners so that you can be forgiven and adopted into God's family free. That's the uniqueness of Christianity.
3: So you have to adopt God into your life and not go against his rules, his laws, his sins, right?
1: I want to make sure I understand that because it's a smart question. I just want to make sure I'm getting it right. Are you saying that in order to get to heaven, what I've been saying to you is we have to keep God's laws?
3: Yes, we have to keep God's laws and we have to accept them into our lives.
1: The problem is we haven't kept his laws. Okay, so the laws are used as a mirror to hold hold up to your face and go, what am I really like? And so it reveals to us we've broken God's laws. That's our problem. We have a debt against an infinitely holy God that we can't pay. Jesus pays it all. And then out of gratitude for our slate being wiped clean and being given the righteousness of Jesus. Now we just want to obey the laws. We don't do it perfectly, but we want to, but it is not the laws that save us. It's the laws that reveal we're condemned. It's the laws we keep afterwards because we want to be pleasing to God because he's done everything for us.
3: Okay, so a person who is atheist or agnostic, They either do not believe in any God or do not necessarily subscribe to one of the dominant religions in the world. How are they getting
1: into heaven? They should listen to their conscience and take a look at the creation and realize, you know what, I've I've got this wrong. There is a God and I need to figure out who he is and how to get right with him because my conscience tells me if I'm get weighed and put on the scales, they're going to tip in the wrong direction. That's the conscience. That's ultimately where I would go with you, Chima, would be to your conscience. Because you're asking a lot of smart, like intellectual questions. And you've seen enough and learned enough to deal with the the land of the cognitive. But it's your conscience that I would probe. Because you can bring a ton of accusations and I can give you a bunch of reasonable answers. But if you don't want them, you're not going to hear them. But if your conscience is going, listen up, I need to figure this out. I'm in danger here. I need to know what truth is. So I would probe your conscience by asking you to think about your own life and just tally up your sins. The number of lies, whether it's cheating, really being dishonest, kind of shading the truth, ching, 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 they just add up. Taking stuff, when Jesus said looking with lust. None of my business, if you've ever done that, looked at pornography, had sex outside of marriage. God's got a record of it all, and he's going to open up the books, and he's not going to accept your good stuff any more than a judge on this earth would accept a bribe from a guilty criminal. If a guilty criminal stood before a judge, guilty. Judge is ready to sentence him, but he says, whoa, whoa, judge, hold on. There's a lot of good stuff I've done that you don't know about. The judge is going to say, doesn't matter. You did the bad things. So those are not acceptable payments. That's our situation. We've broken God's laws. Jesus pays the fine so that God could be seen for way more than what you described earlier. Do you remember what you said about God being kind of stern and angry?
3: Yeah, sometimes the Bible may paint him in a very aggressive
1: manner. And that's accurate. And he should be angry. You and I get angry at some people, right? For like doing really nasty things. Well, What if God has a higher standard than we do? So you, you know, you think about the axe murder and you go, now that dude's bad. Okay, God has a higher standard and he sees all of us as bad. So your conscience should testify to that and agree with it and then seek to figure out a solution for how can you be forgiven.
3: So let me ask you, how can someone who, I mean, they may not think it's bad, but at the end of the day, it's still a point in the wrong direction, right? You've watched pornography, you've had sex outside of your relationship, you've uh, stolen, no matter how large or small, how do you get into heaven?
1: You have to have your sins forgiven. How do you do that? Through Jesus. How do you do that? You said, You said that you. What was the word that you used? It struck my ear. You need adopt him or something like that. I think I said adopt. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or accept. Yeah. The, the biblical word is repent. Okay. okay. First of all, it means you got to agree. God is right. I'm wrong. I have sinned against Him. You have contrition for your sins, and you turn from your sins. In other words, I'm not going to keep doing that stuff anymore. And you put your trust in Jesus Christ like you'd put your trust in a parachute if you had to jump out of an airplane in the sky. And the Bible says you humble yourself before God's mighty hand and he will save you and not just forgive you. But Jesus never broke the laws, which means he was super righteous. God is so good. He takes that righteousness and gives it to you. So you give God your rap sheet. And Jesus gives you his resume so that you're not just forgiven, but now you're commendable to God because you are seen in Christ as the righteousness of God. And you're adopted into his family so that for all of eternity, God can point at Chima and say, I am so good, I saved that rascal. That's the gospel. That's grace. Is God angry at sinners? Yeah, he is. But he's merciful and he's rich in mercy. And anybody comes to him, he won't cast out. So he offers it to you. He offers it to anybody who will listen because he is a good God. He's a holy God, but he's a loving God and he's a merciful God. And you now have a decision to make sitting on this bench. What are you going to do with this information?
2: Well, this seems like a good place to interrupt again. That's what we call a cliffhanger, folks. Hang on, hang tight. We'll be back to hear Chima's answer next as Witness Wednesday
1: continues on Wretched Radio. You're familiar with this sound. You're sitting in church. Your pastor is preaching. You have your John MacArthur Study Bible open. The pastor is reading the scripture, and all of a sudden you hear... Everybody in church turning the page because they all have the same MacArthur Study Bible. Why? Because it is so helpful to be able to read study notes underneath the verses to really grasp what God's Word is trying to teach. How would you like to share the joy of putting a John MacArthur Study Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines? They typically make about $12 to $15 per, not hour, per day. It's a luxury item, and it would be such a blessing. $25 a Bible, four Bibles, $100, or perhaps you could send a Bible to a brother or sister in the Philippines every single month. Would you please consider doing that to bring joy to our brothers and sisters? Wretched.org slash Bible. Hey, thanks for listening
2: to Wretched Radio today. I was thinking about this earlier. Did you know that you're a bit like the Bereans in Acts 17? They were examining the scriptures daily. And look at you. Most of you are stocking up on our wretched resources like biblical ninjas, and we're grateful for your support. But I do have a question. Have you ever considered taking the theological journey that you're on to the next level by becoming an ongoing monthly Wretched Gospel partner? Now, we know you love diving deep into the Word, so do we, but why not help us to share that life? saving knowledge with millions all over the world. After all, you can't spell gospel without go, right? Yeah, that's an old one. But anyway, seriously, your monthly partnership would make a huge difference in helping us to create more content like Wretched Radio and TV, Road Trip to Truth, and Transform. We would love for you to pray about it and then join us in this adventure by visiting wretched.org slash donate or text the word Wretched to the number 44321. Wretched,
1: amazing grace, amazing gospel. Normally, numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared Bible. Hermeneutics
0: A vital part of biblical hermeneutics is an understanding of genre. One genre we find in scripture is gospel. The gospels are four complementary narrative accounts of the same story. From a different perspective with a different emphasis. God delivers his timeless truth through a multitude of witnesses. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And we are
2: back. It is Witness Wednesday. It's Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks, and this is Chima and Todd chatting it up at Kennesaw State University.
3: I believe he is an all knowing, all holy, all forgiving figure, but that also kind of removes the idea that he is this aggressive person with human foibles you know so
1: i don't know if this will do anything for you but let me give it a let me give it a go why do we have court systems on earth police jails
3: so we can punish those who are on our plane while saving those who we think are innocent
1: agreed and i think we get that idea from god we know that there's a day of judgment. It is right that people who break the laws are punished, give an account for themselves. We know that in our conscience, we've created a court system because we understand the idea of justice because God is just, we're made in his image. So we have a dim sense of justice. God is the supreme judge who's going to judge everybody in righteousness. We get the court system from God. We get jails from the idea of hell. We're kind of a mirrored reflection. You keep talking about this plane. This plane is a mirrored reflection of what goes on in heaven. We reflect God and some of his attributes. You communicate because God communicates. You think because God thinks. You are creative because God is creative. You have a sense of justice because God is just. That's where we get all this stuff.
3: Similarities end because what if, do we make mistakes? Do God make mistakes?
1: No. That's, that's why we're not God. (laughs) Okay.
3: Are we aggressive because, or are we
1: jealous because God is jealous? Yes. Okay. But good question. I know where you're going with this. Consider emotions. Is it ever okay to be jealous? If you were married and your wife was kind of getting a little friendly with another man, would you be jealous? I would be jealous. Yeah. Right. And you wouldn't be sinning because that's right. Right. Though her affection should be going to you. In that sense, God is jealous. He wants our affections to go to him. And so when we give it to other things or idols or wor- or, or things of this world, he's jealous. Now there's a bad jealousy, I grant you, yeah. but God doesn't have the bad kind we do.
3: Yeah, it, it's not gonna drive to murder. But then there are stories in the Bible where he lashes out at humanity.
1: Yes, he does.
3: So what, what does that say?
1: It says that we've got a full picture of God when we see that he is holy and he is just. Look, if that's all we saw in the Bible, Chima, we got big problems because that would be a big, scary, angry God who's capricious and potentially out of control.
3: It could possibly lead like an Aztec civilization to sacrifice their children because they're afraid.
1: I, I agree, but that's why you can't just read those verses. God is constantly rich in mercy, constantly kind to people. We are complex. He's complex, but the theological doctrine is actually called simplicity. He's just, he's not like bits and pieces like a puzzle. So God isn't like loving here, just there, angry here, merciful here, and you put it together like a puzzle. No, he just is all of that totally. It's kind of a fine point of theology, but you're a smart guy, so I know you can handle it. By the way, I got to tell you, Chima, dude, I'm so grateful for you because you're thinking and you're reasonable, and you're listening, and I appreciate that. But we're talking about stuff, I have to confess, I can't talk about with everybody here on campus.
3: <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very contentious, it, it's beliefs, you know? Yeah. We hold beliefs very powerful. Yeah. It's difficult to discuss that and accept that there might be an answer that isn't your answer, yeah. you know? Um, but I appreciate how approachable, humane, and accepting you are with your perspective. Uh, it's not, you know, you're a sinner. You're going to go to hell. It's very, these things might make you a sinner. These things might get you to heaven. And you're providing me with the opportunity to create my own answers.
1: So let me encourage you. Your, your, your intellect is working just fine, but your conscience, listen to that today, Chima, just consider facing God who knows everything so when you've been agitated with people on the road, like murder of the heart, looking with lost adultery of the heart, lying, cheating, dishonoring parents, taking his name in vain, desiring stuff that doesn't belong to you, a rap sheet is super long.
3: Maybe I'm having difficulty separating my conscience with my cognitive ability, but I don't think, like like there are good and bad types of jealousy, right? There's greed, and then there's simply jealousy. I don't think that looking at someone's nice car and I'm like oh I wish my car was that nice is something that would be a point against you. I don't think that being married and looking at someone else I'm like, Wow, that's a very attractive woman, having a momentary lapse, so long as you don't act or are dishonest to your relationship, I don't think that is bad. Now, if you are looking at religions and you know, say you switch back and forth between Christianity, Jehovah's Witness, and Scientology. Okay, that, that is not being committed to God. But I think some of the smaller things we are given a pass on, I think it's okay to want something that someone else has but not take. It's okay to lust after someone else but not commit adultery.
1: Um, Let me see if I can reason with you on the coveting business. Right? I want you to imagine you've got five children that you love. And with no small effort, you buy them a car, each one of them. Out of your bank account, you buy them a car. Didn't have to, but you're kind and you're a good dad, so you give them a car. And your kids get the keys and go, yeah, that's nice, Dad, but I'd really like that car. That'd be a little agitated, wouldn't you? Yeah. And the same thing is true with God. He provides everything. He's provided the clothes on our back. So when I look at somebody else's clothes and go, that's what I want, I'm basically saying, God, you're not a good provider to me, and I'm not content with what you've given to me. That's why coveting is in the Ten Commandments.
3: another divide with me and kind of the very devout is I I do believe that God gives us everything that we, we have. I think he gives us the power to give us everything we have. I mean, look at Elon Musk. He was not born rich. God gave him the ability to create an empire now. He can't take it all with him, sure. So that's a little, it depends on how what he's going to do with it. But I don't think that is 100% God. I don't think me making it to college and my background is 100% God. I don't think you making it to these very enlightened. I'm,
1: I'm not, I'm not, tra- say, say, I'm, I'm not tracking with you. Explain that. I,
3: I think with the whole covetous thing, right? God provides the clothes on your back. God provides you with the opportunity and ability to do what you do. You take th- the gifts that he's given you and create your life with it, right? So I give my kids a car. I'm giving them the chance to drive around, make their money, find their happiness, drive to church. I am not taking them to church. God provides us with tools and what we do with them is what we do with them. Um, Hopefully that is in line with what he wants. Um, I would not be mad at my kids if they said, yes, dad, you gave me this really cool, you know, 98 Impala, but I'd much prefer a Rolls Royce. I may be a little angry, but I'm not going to disallow them back from my house so long as they are within line of everything else I want them yeah. to do.
1: Yeah, maybe this illustration is helpful. Have you ever flown to Los Angeles? No. It's a smoggy town. <laughs> <laughs> you know, There's just a blanket of, of, of orange, right? But when you're sitting on a bench in Los Angeles and you look up, it's like skies are blue. You don't see anything. But when you're in an airplane and you're flying above it, And you look down, you just see a brown blanket of schmutz. And it's like, whoa, it was always there. But from my lower perspective, I can't see it. The higher the perspective about what is good and what is holy and what is just, the higher it goes, the more it sees the schmutz. So God, being way holier than we are, way more righteous, he sees what we would say is little white lies or boys will be boys. Mm-mm, not to God. He sees it as an infraction of his laws. No, I will grant you this. It's one thing to look at a woman with lust. It's another thing to um, impose yourself on. Her. Okay, there's, there's the degrees. It's one thing to get angry and flip somebody off in traffic. It's another thing to murder them. But that doesn't dismiss, though, what are indeed gradations, gradations of sin, doesn't dismiss the lower things, because in God's eyes, they're a big deal. Imagine a piece of glass, and we put one through ten on it. You're going to aim for, say, number five. You're going to throw a rock at it. What happens when you hit any of those numbers? What's going to happen to that glass? It's going to break. The whole thing's going to shatter. That's what the Bible says. One, one violation of the law. We've, we've broken the law. We've put ourselves on the opposite side of the law. Criminal and he has to commit one crime to go to jail. So when we break even a small thing, let's just say that you're only guilty of just one time, kind of shading the truth. You've broken the law. You're you're against the law. You've put yourself against the standard and the one who makes the laws and enforces the law. That's how God sees things, and I think you'll agree with this, Chima. You believe that there's a God, and I you're right. But I think that we should figure out. If he's the one who gets to make the decisions on these things, or am I going to get to make it up myself? And I would simply encourage you today, as you think about these things, because you clearly do, don't ask, what do I think it's going to take to get to heaven? Ask, what is going to be acceptable to God? Which is the only way we can view all of this, because God's way? is the only way.
2: Okay, so that was a really interesting chat with Todd and Chima the Scholar. Chima definitely had great questions, and it really did seem like he was truly putting a lot of thought into God. But, you know, while he says he believes in some areas, he fights back and rejects others. So let's all be in prayer for Chima the Scholar. Well, another Witness Wednesday in the books. Time definitely seemed like it flew by very quickly today. But you know, it does kind of feel that way every week for Witness Wednesday, if I'm going to be honest with you. And we will have more Witness Wednesday next Wednesday and more Wretched Radio tomorrow. And until then, until tomorrow, go serve your king.